Momo, how many drivers do we have in today's race? E, 23, sir. What? We need 24 drivers! You know what to do. Ah, uh, you know. Uh, send in the field filler. Welcome to the NASCAR Field Filler Podcast. Get all your news, results, and updates on NASCAR every week on this channel. You've tried the best, now here's the rest. Let's fill the last row with our hosts, Vanilla Wafers. Hello everybody, welcome to the bottom of the playlist with Vanilla Wafers and welcome to the Field Filler Podcast. Hope you're all doing really well. It's Wednesday, you know what that means. It's time for some good old history as today we're going to be talking about probably one of the worst races in modern NASCAR history. Now don't get me wrong, NASCAR has had a lot of races that have been pretty mediocre at best. Basically anything with a Gen 6 car is usually could contend on this list. But I'm talking about a race that was so bad, and when I mean bad, I mean it ruined the legacy of the race kind of bad. It, it doesn't get any harder than that. I'm not talking about the 1969 Talladega race because that was the first ever race, so it could only go up from there. I'm talking about Indianapolis Motor Speedway in 2008. Some of you may have heard seen this race before. If so, I apologize. It's not a good one, and it's okay. The announcers apologize as well. So... If you haven't heard of this race, you're in for a treat because we're going to look back at one of NASCAR's worst races in modern NASCAR. We're looking at about uh, $34,000 in tires. To put it politely, it's been a struggle. Oh, trouble. Kevin Harvick has hit it hard. Yeah, that looks like it could have been a problem with the tire. We're seeing this tire where it doesn't look like it's getting any better. Let's get out of Microsoft. To never have this tire here before, not come and do an open test and, and work on these things, work on the tires. It's, uh, it's pretty darn disappointing. We had a great tire today, and uh, you know, feel bad for the fans that are in. Matt Kenseth around. He knew he had slumped down. They blew it right here, tire. NASCAR has had a huge collection of races that will stand the test of time. Some races were known for their amazing finishes. First comes to mind are the 2003 Dodge Dealer 400 at Darlington with Ricky Craven and Kurt Busch, the 2018 Overton 400 at Chicagoland with Kyle Busch and Kyle Larson, and the Advocare 500 at Atlanta in 2011 where Jeff Gordon held off Jimmy Johnson for the last 20 laps. Others were known for their heartwarming stories like the 1998 Daytona 500 with Dale Earnhardt finally claiming his first Daytona 500, the 2015 Goodies Relief 500 with Jeff Gordon winning his last, and the 2001 Pepsi 400 where Dale Earnhardt Jr. won the first race back at the track that took his father's life. And then there are some that are known for all the wrong reasons. In 2008, NASCAR was in a very interesting time. Attendance and viewership was starting to dip. The new COT car that was introduced in 2007 had mixed feelings with both the fans and drivers. And Dale Earnhardt Jr. has left DEI to join the legendary Rick Henrik Motorsports. Oh yeah, and the economy was down the shitter. NASCAR needed something big to happen during the summer of that year. And they were looking at the biggest event in the summer, the Brickyard 400. The Brickyard 400 is at the legendary Indianapolis Motor Speedway. The Brickyard 400 has been known as the crown jewel event in NASCAR since its debut in the 1994 year. Big names such as Jimmy Johnson, Jeff Gordon, Dale Earnhardt, Bill Elliott, Tony Stewart, and Bobby Labonte have been victorious at this event and planted their lips on the historic bricks at the finish line. Now that I look at it now, that is more unsanitary than hogging someone at Walmart during the COVID-19 pandemic. Anyways, basically, it's a huge race in NASCAR. In fact, it was considered for the longest time to be the second biggest race of the year, only second to the Daytona 500. But nowadays, 
It feels like another race trying to fill up the 36-week schedule. Why is that the case? What caused the richest race of the season to become the lackluster event in the year? Well, the 2008 Brickyard might have a lot to do with that reason. As I mentioned earlier, the COT, which is the Car of Tomorrow, Generation 5, was launched in 2007 and ran a handful of races, including short tracks, road courses, and one of the Talladega races for some reason. One thing that the car tomorrow had was way more downforce, which caused a major problem with the wear on the tires. Greg Stucker, Goodyear's director of racing, said the new car created some unexpected challenges. NASCAR did a bunch of testing at multiple tracks to make sure Goodyear was prepared for the new downforce. One track that was off the schedule for testing was Indianapolis. This was a head-scratcher for many as Indianapolis is known for their abrasive race surface since the repave in the early 2000s. NASCAR rolled the dice and said, eh, f*** it, let's just hope that the drivers know what they're doing and hopefully the tires will stand out. There, there, there should be nothing to worry about for this track. Why would there be? It's just the hardest on tires. Pfft. It's the last weekend of July and 47 teams are looking to put their names in the history books as they travel to Indiana to run the Brickyard 400. During the first days of practice, drivers are noticing that the track is taking a major toll on the tires. However, all the teams know that Indianapolis is known for being rough on the tires the, the first day, so not many drivers and crews are concerned. However, as the second day comes and goes, two-time champion driver at the time, Jimmy Johnson, notices that the track is not laying down rubber, and the track is blowing the rubber away like dust. Drivers and officials start to realize that they have a big problem on their hands, as the tires are getting so worn that they won't even last halfway through a fuel run before blowing out. NASCAR is in trouble. They know that they have a quarter of a million fans attending the race and millions at home that are going to be tuning in to watch one of the biggest races of the years. In a desperate move, NASCAR decides to run the race on that Sunday and have a competition caution on lap number 10 to see how the tires are doing during a green flag run. What ensued that afternoon was for never known in NASCAR as the tire debacle. It's July 27th and the fans are starting to pile into the racetrack. Two-time defending champion Jimmy Johnson was able to hold off the veteran Mark Martin to take the pole. In the second row, we have the winner of the Daytona 500 that year, Ryan Newman on the inside, with Casey Kane on the outside. In row number three, we have the four-time winner of the event, Jeff Gordon, and the second Gillette Everham car of Elliott Sadler. Row four, we got Kurt Busch in the iconic Blue Deuce, and Jay McMurray in the Crown Royal number 26. And in row five, we got the top dogs in the Roush camp, Carl Edwards and Matt Kansas. It's a good mix-up of drivers, and there are plenty of stories and candidates to make this a good race. The only thing holding this race back is the four lumps of rubber that sit below the cars. During the warm-up laps, you can hear the fear and stress in the voices of crew members and drivers on how the tires will hold up. Everyone is keeping their fingers crossed, hoping that the tires will last in this race. The green flag drops, and fans and viewers are already seeing that there is a big problem. The cars are not running at their full potential, as drivers are taking it as easy as possible to make sure to make it to the first competition caution on lap 10. Unfortunately, we see an early caution on lap number 5 with Michael Waltrip and Paul Menard. Some drivers come in early to get tires while others stay out. Green flag drops again with another competition caution at lap number 14. This time they made it to the competition caution. Well, sort of. Kurt Busch and Kevin Harvick wreck hard going into turn two due to a tire problem right before the competition caution gets thrown out. As teams change tires, they notice that the tires are already cording in just under 10 laps of green flag racing. Teams are feeling a bit uneasy, but NASCAR decides to make the next competition caution on lap 32, about five laps more than the first competition caution. 
That went as well as you might have expected. Three cars blew tires within a couple of laps, Dale Jr., the leader, Mark Martin, and Juan Pablo Montoya. As teams come in to assess the tires, NASCAR and teams knew that they were in trouble. Almost all the tires were worn down to the cords, even though drivers were running conservatively throughout the run. Drivers and teams realized that they were racing on ticking time bombs ready to blow any second. At this point, NASCAR was trying to do anything they could to save the race. The only problem was, they wouldn't tell teams when the next competition caution would be until a few laps into the green flag run, causing frustration between NASCAR and the teams. Lap number 48 comes and we have another tire blowout on the 13 lap run. This time, it's the 2003 champ, Matt Kenseth. The blowout is so severe that most of the right side was shredded off the car. NASCAR decided at this point the race would only run under green flag for a maximum of 12 laps before a competition caution would be thrown out. Basically, the rest of the race was a bunch of 25-mile shootouts where the cars could only run on a conservative level. The racing was getting so bad that the announcers and track officials were starting to apologize to the fans for how bad the racing was. In the end, Jimmy Johnson was able to win his second Brickyard 400 in a race that ran under caution for one-third of the time. The longest green flag run was about 13 laps, and to put it lightly, the fans were pissed at NASCAR. Nobody really remembered Jimmy Johnson taking the victory that day. Everyone only remembers the tire debacle. Ever since this embarrassment of a race at one of the most prestigious tracks on the schedule, the Brickyard 400 has never been the same again. The fan attendance dropped significantly the very next year, from 250,000 fans to only 170,000 in attendance. Ouch. It didn't get any better as time went by as the Brickyard hardly even sees above 70,000 in attendance at this point. What's worse was that the race itself lost its prestige that it once held. A race that almost surpassed the Daytona 500 in popularity is now the least anticipated crown jewel event. At this point, it feels like a win at Bristol is more important than winning at Indianapolis. Now with the race being moved around the schedule every couple of years, it looks like the track may never gain its value as it once did. It's a shame a race that was once considered the biggest crown jewel of the year has been reduced to a shell of what it once was, and it might be thanks to that one race in the summer of 2008 that was considered one of the worst races in NASCAR history. And that will conclude today's story. I remember watching this race when I was 12 years old, and even then I realized, oh my gosh, this race was a horrible one. So, like I said, you guys don't need to watch the race. Just watch some highlights on YouTube if you are truly curious, but don't watch the full race. This was honestly a lot of fun, though. I'm, I'm actually really happy that I was able to do a little bit of a story time for you guys and talk about one of the worst races. Maybe um, here in the future, I'll do some more stories about races that were either more entertaining, had more historical value, maybe other bad races. I know there's a few, so that will conclude today's episode. Thank you so much for listening to The Best and trying out all the rest. I've been able to fill up the last few remaining minutes of your time, so I'm going to pull the car right on in and collect my last place winnings, and I'm out. So you all take care. This has been the Field Filler Podcast. <laughs>